So we'll get started. Uh, really, for our audience, this is a C-suite report uh, webinar. We'll also share this through Becker's Healthcare. We're going to focus today on really two core issues. Uh, first, before the issues, I'll ask each of our panelists to introduce themselves. We've got a great mix of business people and leaders and advisors. Second, we'll ask each of our panelists for the core three to four things that every business should be doing right now, at least their perspective on that. And third, we'll talk to, we'll ask each panelist what they expect to be sort of the ramp up after this or what does recovery look like uh, from their own perspective. And each one will have their own different perspectives. Let me start by asking Bart Walker to introduce yourself and then we'll go across the group here. Bart, can you take a moment and introduce yourself? Sure, thanks, Scott. Uh, my name is Bart Walker. I'm a partner with the healthcare group of McGuire Woods. I spend about, well, typically spend about 90% of my time doing in the healthcare space. Uh, the type of work has changed quite dramatically over the last couple of weeks, as it has for most people, um, but I've been with McGuire Woods my whole career. And um, thanks, Scott. Thank you, Bart. Chad. Besty, Chad, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, Scott. Um, so I'm Chad Besty. I'm a partner with BDO. Uh, BDO is the country's fifth largest accounting and consulting company. And I've been in healthcare consulting for the past 20 years and prior to that work for a payer for Aetna for 15 years. And at BDO, um, you know, we're, I'm in healthcare advisory, so I'm, I'm not an accountant, but we work primarily with providers, hospitals, physicians, other types of, of organizations, such as DME companies, private equity firms, investment bankers, and, and healthcare services firms. Thank you. And Christian? Thank you so much, Scott. Uh, yeah, my name is Christian Berger. I work in the Dallas office uh, at McGuire Woods. Uh, I'm in our private equity group. I'm not a lawyer. My title is senior advisor. My job is to find clients. Uh, I've been with the firm five years, and the ideal client for our private equity group is somebody that buys companies valued between $20 million and $500 million. Uh, we're, we're a top five firm for deals under $500 million and for deals under $50 million in the United States. Thank you, Christian. You've done a magnificent job as a business development senior advisor at McGuire Woods. Thank you. Nader? Uh, one of the great CEOs in the country. Introduce yourself. Thanks, Scott. Uh, CEO of National Medical. So um, National Medical is a large RCM revenue cycle management company focused in particular on the surgery center and surgical practice um, market. Our, our broader revenue cycle services also include analytics um, and advisory and managed care contracting as, as part of that. And, and Prior lives, I was a corporate finance attorney and an investment banker in New York and San Francisco. And I guess none of that has all come in more handy in what I do now than over the last probably three weeks. Well, well fantastic. And Kathy, uh, take a moment and introduce yourself, please. Hi. Um, well, my name is Kathleen Quinn, and I have worked in the nonprofit membership area for many years, but I am a recovering serial entrepreneur and a supporter of small business, and that's my passion. I'm in the Chicago area. 
And, and Kathy, I'm going to start with you. We've really got two core questions for all of our panelists. The okay. first question, and we'll go back around the horn here from introductions, is going to be, what are the top, and you'll see, you, you now sort of run the Northbrook Chamber of Commerce, complete with lots of small and medium-sized businesses, some large businesses too are part of that. You've got some major companies that are part of that too. But what are the three to five, three to four things you see businesses should be doing right now in, in dealing with this crisis? How do they survive now so they could thrive later? You know, a minute or two on that, Kathy. Sure. And I'm in, I'm in the membership area. So um, my three um, takeaways for business right now is they need to connect, pivot, and renew. I think what's happening, especially for small businesses, larger businesses have corporate entities that might, um, you know, direct them. But for small and mid-sized businesses, um, right now it's critical to connect with your current clients, um, even your prospects. Um, just connect with everyone. It's it's very important. And I, and I mean, pick up the phone and talk to people because business has changed right now. You have to make those connections and you have to make sure people know that you are still um, an active business right now. And then in terms of pivoting, I think one of the beauties of um, people being an entrepreneur, which is mostly what we work with, not totally, but um, they have this, this whole time and this whole um, upheaval is really a great place for an entrepreneur because they can pivot a lot more easily than uh, people in bigger corporations. It's a time for them to review what they've done, change things up, and see how they can do things better or, you know, act your plan B because entrepreneurs have to have a plan B. And then in terms of renewing, I think people have an opportunity right now while serving their current um, client base and also taking care of their employees, they have to envision the plan for going forward. This is a really good time for them to look and see what they want to do more of or less of and plan their future because we're going to get back on track really quickly and people hopefully will be ready. Thank you very much. Really, three core concepts. Stay very connected to your customers and your community. Two is review what you're doing. Are there better ways to do it or different ways to do it? It's a good chance to re-review your business and what you could do. And third is sort of renewal, re renew ideas, renew thoughts, and, and, and sort of come back to ideas and so forth. Um, Nader, let me ask you. You're in a fascinating position. You've got your own company, great company. You also serve a massive number of practices and surgery centers that at least for this moment in time, if all but slowed down completely for a couple months, your thoughts on the three things that businesses have to have to do now? Yeah, Scott, so obviously this is this is the most timely question ever, what everyone's facing. Um, what oh, the, the way we look at it here is number one, understand and analyze everything from the financial side of your business. Uh, look at all ways to strengthen your cash position right now from, you know, making sure AR is in good shape, um, managing your expenses, trying to maximize your revenue in whatever way possible right now, but really focus on, on the cash strength of your business. And there are obviously a lot of economic stimulus opportunities out there. The CARES Act loan for the smaller businesses, you know, 500 and below, there's another disaster recovery loan that the small that the SBA is offering. There's a lot of other incentives through the CARES Act and through 
you know, other type initiatives like in healthcare, you know, CMS has stepped up with a couple different advanced payments and now they're going to provide a grant. So really being very smart about anything you can do with respect to just putting yourself in a good position to survive this because um, <clears throat> to, to the previous point, if you can survive this, there's going to be incredible opportunity on the, on the other side of this, but, but this will be uh, this will be very Darwinian in a sense of, of those who aren't strong financially through this probably won't be here tomorrow. We'll be in a much weakened state. So if you can make it through in a good position, you'll 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 you know be be in a position to flourish. And second would be reiterating a point from before is really understanding the needs of your clients, looking at not so much how can you maximize revenue in this position, but what do your clients need? How can you help them? through this because if you can help them through this one they're going to remember that and two they're going to be financially strong you know on the on the other end so any way you can provide advice a service a, you know even a not for a not paid for service but anything you can do to really help guide them through that <clears throat> and then the third piece of it um, from my standpoint is what can you do for your employees protect them keep them safe to the extent you can keep them employed <clears throat> and paid through this again you're going to be in a great position <clears throat> when you get to the other side of this, of having talented people uh, on your team who are excited to to work really hard and and be part of a company that's able to survive, and in the event that some people can't, and that's that's going to be a reality, at least understand the landscape of what you can do to help them. If you did a furlough, how can you maximize their unemployment benefits? How can you create it in the most you know favorable way from from their standpoint? So those are really kind of the three buckets: financial you know, client needs and employees. Thank you. Really great. Cash management, making sure you keep the lights on, you keep the lights on so that when this rebounds, you're ready to go. Second is staying very close, connecting with clients and customers, even if you're not getting paid for it, but staying close and being around as an advisor counselor or anything else you could be. And I know you're doing that with lots of your your clients. And third is taking care of your employees and keeping your team in place as much as you possibly can so that you're ready for recovery and also just to be empathetic to your employees and being as, uh, as, as helpful as you can to them through this difficult time for them as well. Christian, you've done this magnificent job of business development. Um, it, it really, I've watched you over the last five years and amazing what you've done in building a following in the private equity field and generating business for the McGuire Woods law firm. Through that, you also see the real business issues of your of the, the, the client base. What do you see happening? What's your three best pieces of advice for people to survive through this period? Yeah. One thing that we have learned through this is that um, providing actionable, actionable and um, concise uh, and and sort of authentic thought leadership um, at this moment has been a, a big differentiator for us. So um, there has been just an enormous amount of uh, news and and insights being published that are often sort of regurg regurgitations of different. Um, New uh, new bills and, and legislation that that have been coming out, um, or you know regurgitations of the law. For example, you know how to manage how to manage restructuring and insolvency issues with creditors. For example, um, 
I'm, I'm going to, uh, to echo uh, what Kathleen said, which is that knowing how to communicate is incredibly important right now. And lawyers naturally um, tend to, um, to write in longer sentences and paragraphs. You, you excluded, I mean, you're, you're, what you write, Scott, is absolutely incredible and very concise and extremely helpful. I read it, I read everything you write. Um, but uh, most lawyers don't do that. And most sellers really struggle to be concise in their communication. So one thing is be concise. Number two is, um, again, echoing what, uh, what Kathleen said, relationships happen with real interaction. It's not enough just to um, blast stuff to people. It's what you need is one-on-one -on -one interaction, being able to do that in an efficient and concise way that adds value. Um, so, so communication is, is kind of my first one, um, communicating concisely. Um, the last thing that I want to touch on is uh, growing new relationships. We are doing a great job right now in our private equity group of growing new relationships by understanding the ecosystem that our clients work in. And the, the ecosystem for a private equity firm is, is very similar to the ecosystem that a, a private operating business operates in. Um, there, that ecosystem contains lenders and uh, investment bankers and uh, vendors of all kinds and consultants. And understanding what that ecosystem looks like right now and becoming a, a node in the network where you can connect people who want to meet each other is going to allow you to grow. So I'll pause there. Thank you. No, no, I, I think that's great. Three things I heard you say, concise, useful communication. The second thing that's part of that is the communication ultimately has to be one-on-one -on -one and two-way communication. There's got to be real interaction with your customer on the other side or whoever the prospect is, whoever you're doing business with. It can't just be you throwing information at them. It's got to literally be two-way communication. Anything other than that is ultimately useless. And then third is, don't be afraid to use this as a time to grow new relationships. And that's counterintuitive to people when everybody are hunkered down, but it's great advice because people are actually open to hear and listen more so than you might expect because everybody's searching for where to end up in this survival mode and then thrive mode. So Christian, thank you very, very much. And, and I want to encourage our audience to feel free to ask questions. There's a place to insert questions on your computer, I believe. Uh, please don't be bashful. Please do, you know, put in questions. Chad, your thoughts on the three things businesses should be doing right now. Well, first, I want to comment that I agree with what all the other panelists have said, and, and I've got different variations of what's already been spoken. But number one, to prepare a um, 13 to 26 week cash preservation plan, you know, which is very similar to what Natters indicated before. Uh, we think that this plan needs to be kind of a scalable, so assuming a best case, worst case, and, and most likely case. But um, organizations really have to understand. Uh, what their cash position is and, and take every effort to preserve the cash that they, they have. 
Number two, to understand all the options related to the federal stimulus dollars, which both Congress and states have enacted, but then other departments like, um, you know, I'm in healthcare, so CMS or Medicare has provided for three months uh, advances for physicians up to a year advance for physician groups at no interest rate uh, with payment plans, you know, um, that will kick in after 120 days. And so it's a, a really good kind of um, option for most providers to take advantage of. It's important to work closely with the trusted advisors for all of this because these programs um, are new. Uh, the rules aren't written very well. Uh, for example, a number of banks are struggling to process the 7 or the SBA loans that, that have come out. And, and then there's some strategic issues related to would I be better off with the 7A loan if I can qualify for it? Um, or, you know, the tax credits and are there kind of clever ways of combining the two um, and or other items and um, from which to act. And then related to this, but not a lot of people are talking or looking about this, but various states and, and even cities are putting together their own kind of stimulus funds. And, and so I think folks need to pay attention to all the different options that are available to them. And the third component that I would say is, is it's very important to already begin thinking about the post-pandemic world and how your business model may change as a result of this pandemic that we're in. For example, in healthcare, the one thing that we can point to with near 100% certainty that um, is going to grow is telemedicine. And so historically, there's been a lot of challenges to getting telemedicine off the ground for a number of entities. but the one of that, would, which has been, you know, will the payers reimburse for the service? In this environment, all the payers, including Medicare, basically said that they're going to pay for it as a regular visit. And so um, what we see is that most people are now in the telemedicine business. And frankly, patients like this. And, and so I do not believe that that genie is going to go back in the bottle. And so if we begin to look at the future and say, if telemedicine is going to be part of our future, let's just say that it accounts for, uh, for example, 10% of, of of visit activity going forward, what really uh, would suggest is the implication that we might not need as much real estate or office locations that that folks currently have. So, those are the you know, it's it's a it's a it's you know it's a fantastic set of thoughts. I mean, first one is hardcore. You need to have a cash management plan. You're suggesting for a six to eight month period, something like that. You need to have a clear cash management plan. How are we going to get to the other side of this? particularly with a ramp down in business that's going to lead to cash coming in the next month or two, but then almost no cash coming in for at least practices for a couple months and then back up. So cash management plan. Second is understanding finance options, all the different liquidity options out there. You and Nader both mentioned that. And third is start to figure out what the post-pandemic world looks like and whether there's things from a business perspective to think about and plan for, for the future. Thank you, Chad. Bart, your your thoughts on sort of the three key things businesses should be doing now to survive? Sure. Uh, thanks, Scott. I'll, I'll try to add something to the conversation without uh, covering ground that's already been covered. Um, I, I think the first point I, I would make is just to focus on fundamentals. That could mean different things for different businesses, depending on what industry you're in. Certainly in healthcare, uh, paying attention to where your revenue comes from. Um, a lot of the traditional places are, are drying up temporarily if you're in a specialty that relies on non-emergent type procedures or non-emergent type uh, medical services. 
uh, you may have to think uh, of ways to bridge the gap, whether it's employee furloughs on the expense side or whether it's finding new ways through telemedicine or through COVID testing or through other ways that you can extend your practice in ways that were previously not necessarily natural extensions. Um, so focusing on fundamentals, uh, where does your revenue come from? Where are your expenses going? And it's a time to exercise some financial discipline. Um, financial discipline does not mean, I think, duck and cover, uh, cut off all expenses and lay everybody off. I think the people who do that are not going to be well positioned on the other side to thrive. I think the things that you do to survive are not the same things you're going to do to thrive on the other end. So hitting that right down tricky for a lot of people, I think. Um, number two, just to echo something I heard earlier, is, is to try to be a true partner to your clients, whoever your clients are. I know for us it means uh, being close to our clients who are in very dire situations, especially healthcare providers who are on the front lines. Um, Scott, one of our senior partners told me years ago, uh, you need to run to the sound of the cannons. So where there's a crisis, you should be there. And people will remember how you reacted in those times of crisis. If you're shoulder to shoulder with them, that means an awful lot. And people tend to remember that. Um, to something that Christian said earlier, the, uh, the way to distribute information, there's a few different ways you can do it. There's been just a huge tidal wave of information, listservs, articles, blog posts put out on all the legislative changes, all the regulatory action of the stimulus and so forth. I think sorting through that and taking that complex uh, and yeah. is really, really important and another way you can add a ton of value. Uh, and then finally, the last thought would just be what was something that was just said a minute ago is, is pay attention. Uh, pay attention and plan ahead because things are changing on a day-to-day -day basis, on an hour-to-hour -hour basis, and uh, avoid getting sucked down into the nuts and bolts and blocking and tackling as much as possible. You need to keep your head on a swivel, kind of keep a high level of view of the, the macro forces are changing very rapidly. Bart, that was really valuable uh, feedback, and I, I like the simplicity of, of the approach. Um, I'm, I'm sure that uh, many of you have different perspectives. Um, given your experience. I, I would love to ask um, a question to Chad, uh, since you're, you're on the phone. Chad, are, are you guys doing anything uh, differently in terms of outreach to prospective clients or existing clients to try to um, retain uh, or build new relationships right now? Um. I guess the short answer is yes to all of the above. Um, what I would say we're spending most of our time is trying to be um, a valued advisor to the companies and practices that we work with by um, going through kind of the complex, you know, regulations and the federal stimulus dollars related to liquidity and, and are really trying to help clients um, make it through this pandemic. And, um, so really most of our time is really spent trying to respond to different um, questions that come up um, as well as kind of talking to, to folks like McGuire Woods in terms of what are you seeing and, 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 and really trying to share information so that at the end we can all best serve our clients. And Christian, maybe one question for you is how, how do you yeah. see 
PE funds in particular reacting to this and how do you see them coming back? Do you think it'll be a uh, sharp V shape where they'll come back very quickly from this and look to put down chips on the table very quickly? Or is it something where it'll take a while for it to come back in your view? Yeah. Um, one of the truisms that I've discovered in uh, working in this industry is that the people who have the highest imperative to deploy capital are the ones whose livelihoods depend on it. And that is totally true of private equity firms. The private equity model requires that if private equity uh, managers or managers of private equity funds deploy capital. And um, we are definitely seeing a very strong appetite to continue to deploy capital. Um, many of these things are, uh, you know, investors in, in terms of the current deals that we're seeing, pencils are down in provider acquisitions, as an example, uh, for the most part. Um, until, Christian. Yes, go ahead. Christian, make that point again. You made a very, very important point about the recovery, at least private equity investors. They don't make their management fees unless they're investing, and they use the management fees to keep the lights on. So they'll be very enthusiastic about getting back to investing, but talk about deal pricing. Will deal pricing be a debacle for a period of time or any thoughts around that? And then I'd like to come back to Chad, Kathy, and Nader on a couple of follow-up questions. Yeah, so with respect to pricing, we already saw a little bit of softening um, in pricing in Q1 of this year. And we, we use some private databases that use surveys uh, that use private surveys of participating private equity firms to capture real-time data. And we, we saw a very slight softening of um, valuations already at the beginning of this year. Um, that, that was driven by a number of things. We will definitely see softening uh, of prices uh, in, in the coming, um, uh, when, once we're through this. And that's going to significantly be uh, contributed to because of the um, increased care or, or covenants that lenders are going to have in, uh, in underwriting deals. The amount of leverage available is, is probably going to be reduced significantly on any um, business that, that ha could potentially be in, uh, impacted by uh, a pandemic like this. So, uh, what what that means with respect to the bridging the, the gap, you know, the valuation gap between a buyer and a seller, uh, it obviously remains to be seen. But we we probably will see that those people, founders who are selling their businesses to retire, um, are are going. You know, depending on who, who the seller is, there's different ability to to delay. But we are seeing in this environment still a significant number, probably 50% of deals at least being nursed along uh, t toward a close in, in the coming weeks. No, no question. Thank you. Nader, you work with it essentially, <clears throat> your customers are essentially lots of small to mid-sized to large businesses. Any thoughts on what you see as what the ramp up looks back like any thoughts on that, Nader? Yeah, and, and obviously I'm, I'm going to answer, Scott, if that's okay. 
specifically kind of to our world of clients, which are healthcare providers and specifically <clears throat> surgically focused healthcare providers, surgery centers, and surgical practices. And it is it is one of those areas that feels like it's changing every day in terms of kind of what the mindset is. Obviously, you know, there was great demand. People were as busy as they've ever been and have really been asked to step down um, partially from the, you know, from, from a federal perspective and very much from a state standpoint to stand down, don't do quote unquote elective surgeries. I do think that term, by the way, is a bit misleading because I don't know how many people get surgery for fun. Um, I think that, you know, most of those, some can be put off a little bit in time, but there's a lot of health issues that come with that um, and, and the pushing back of many of those surgeries. And so what we're starting to see, I think everyone, I would say about, if I looked at our client base, about 70% probably of our clients closed the doors completely and then about 30% either stayed open fully or stayed open partially for urgent surgeries. And those ones that stayed open for urgent surgeries are starting to get a little bit busier because surgeons from other places are coming over. More people that thought they were going to be shut down for a month are starting to come back a little bit earlier and sort of have doors open to handle the patients that really need it. So I feel like it's one of those things, just like everything in the news, where one day to the next, it feels like it's another week, it's another month, it's a different world. I feel like we're sort of moving in that direction of of some doors opening again, um, where I suspect April will be a light month, but by the end of April, beginning of May, we see a lot of maybe back to kind of 50% uh, you know, type of numbers. And then by June, it feels like maybe you kind of be down maybe 20, 25% and then kind of back. And then what we're also seeing and hearing pretty heavily is the folks, um, there, there's, a, there's obviously a pent up demand now and so centers that were open, you know, three, four or five days a week are saying that they're going to need to be open six days a week um, to handle that backlog. And obviously, there are some cases that might be coming over overflow from the hospital. You know, there's this hospital without walls initiative that is going to create some opportunity for the centers to take some of the overflow um, or, or volume that can't really be handled by the hospitals now. So I, it's, it's, again, it's difficult to really say, but I would say big picture, that's, that's if I had to give sort of, if I were modeling out numbers, I'd probably use something around the lines of what I just said. Thank you very much. Probably 50% for some period of time, then hopefully more ramp up because people will have pent up demand that people want to fill. It's very healthy for those businesses. Chad, coming back to you, what do you see as ramping up on the other side of this? You know, I, I think it's going to very much, you know, it, uh, like Ned, I'm exclusively in healthcare. And so um, speaking only of healthcare, it's going to impact different provider types or components differently. And I think the example of, of orthopedics and surgery centers is a great example of kind of a specialty that may pick up faster because, um, you know, all the a ambulatory surgery centers and orthopedic practices, for example, they had scheduled patients for surgery, you know, in the latter half of March and, and, and through April. And so um, once we're out of this, those folks still are going to need surgery. So they may pick up faster. They, they might actually have kind of a surgeon demand um, that will help tide them through. But there are other services, for example, dental, that may be, you know, much slower to recovery. Um, Historically, in other you know economic downturns that we've had, 
dental services have been harder hit because frankly, it's kind of easy to skip, say, a six-month cleaning as an example. So it, it's um, kind of a, a different example. And then I, I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on hospitals. And while many people might feel that hospitals aren't that negatively impacted by the COVID-19 you know, pandemic, um, because that's where all the patients are going, it's actually the reverse, in that they've all had to kind of shut down their elective, more lucrative services you know, to, to provide capacity related to treating COVID patients. And most, much of these patients are, are going to have Medicaid and Medicare as their insurance coverage. And throughout the country, hospitals lose about 9% on every Medicare patient that they treat. And so this is going to be, um, you know, a, a much more challenging time. Uh, one example, and it's, it's, this has been brought up before, but one, one person's problems is really somebody else's opportunity. And so we, we talked to a private equity-backed company that's just raised $2 billion um, before the COVID uh, pandemic hit, but with the idea of acquiring hospitals. And what they've kind of indicated is that any hospital that has 90 days of cash on hand or less is going to be a target for them because they, they believe that, um, that, you know, there's going to be a lot of hospitals that really struggle for this. The third thing that I'll yeah. say and, and um, um, related to this is that um, it's also along the lines that not everybody is going to survive this, but many physicians um, in smaller practices um, probably are going to um, find it to be attractive to try to be part of a bigger organization. And so we think it's going to create opportunities for hospitals to employ more physicians for larger physician practices and, and you know, and private equity-backed practices that the smaller practices will just feel more secure in a larger environment going forward. Thank you, Chad. And Kathy, let me ask you your thoughts on what does the recovery look like? I mean, you've got restaurants, you've got bars, you've got big businesses. What do you sort of see in your community in terms of what ramp up is likely to look like? Right. Well, one of the things about being in a, a membership um, entity is that, to use Chad's words, um, people have trusted advisors kind of in their uh, co-chamber members. So people are really stepping up. I mean, we have found that people who are not busy right now or can't do their regular business are doing fundraising to help the restaurants and the caterers get business by for meals for first responders. So the collective that I think is only going to grow when we get out of this, I think people are going to realize that you know an association um, is a place where they have some opportunities to um, you know go to a trusted attorney or um, CPA and they are using those resources and we're connecting them in ways that go well beyond you know what people assume is only a network organization. So that's been yeah, really positive. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. You're a membership organization. People pay dues to be part of the Chamber of Commerce. The dues are not that much. Right. But do you have people trying to drop out at this point due to nervousness about finances? Do you see some of that yet? Well, the interesting thing is um, the first quarter of the year is uh, collection time, right? So we're an annual membership. And so we're trying to be very sensitive. You know, most people pay before the uh, January 1st kind of time period. And so it hasn't been an issue. However, because of this, this put our uh, membership dues sponsorships at, at risk. 
So it's a very, very tough time. What we're seeing though, is that, um, you know, we're working with everyone individually. We have over 700 members and um, I am literally for three weeks have been on the phone calling everyone, um, speaking to them and listening to them. And in the first week, people were literally in despair. This third week, people have decided, you know what, I have to either in the game and I, I need support. So, um, it's a hard time. Our business is suffering just like every other business. We're trying to make it work. And um, we've actually had a couple people join because they realize that they actually need the support. We're connecting them with, you know, the banks and the experts in how to fill out your loan papers. And people have no idea that a chamber fits in that uh, lane for them. So there's, you know, been, I think, really positive things coming out of it. Um, where we can help people. We've always been there to do it, but now people are seeing that we are there for them and it's, it's a good thing. Um, everyone, people are gonna have a tough time. A lot of people don't know what's gonna happen. Um, but I think having the support is very critical and the connection has been very important. And you know that's been what we've been focusing on. No, thank you very, very much. Bart, a couple of comments from you on what ramp up and, and it starts to look like again. And you, like Christian, represent a lot of people that invest in healthcare. Will they be hungry to invest? Will, will, will practices be hungry to sell for more security like Chattawoods do, which certainly seems right. Bart, some thoughts on what ramp up looks like post you know, the, the immediate crisis. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, perhaps it's a little bit too optimistic, but I tend to agree with Christian's view of it. I think there's so much capital sitting on the sidelines that needs to be deployed and put to work, and there's there's so much fertile ground for consolidation, particularly in physician practice management. Um, I, I think it'll it'll definitely spur some additional activity, and I think that activity will come back relatively quickly. I think the thing that is having a chilling effect right now is number one, just lack of predictability or visibility into what revenues look like when they come back. Does it come back at 120% of normal for the last couple quarters of the year? Does it come back at 100%? Does it come back at 50%? I think once investors have some clarity on that front, that's kind of one piece of the puzzle. The, the other piece of the puzzle is the credit markets. And assuming they return to some semblance of normal, then I think we'll be ramped up very quickly back to where we were pre-crisis. I think if either of those things do not happen, then I think it'll be a, a longer road to recovery. The other thing that I'd keep my eye on is whether this creates a dislocation or a uh, discrepancy in pricing expectations from sellers versus buyers. I think sellers will still have certain valuations in their minds. Buyers will adjust very quickly to drops in EBITDA revenue over a short period of time. So is there a disconnect between buyers and sellers now in terms of valuation? That, that could be something that uh, chills the M&A market for, for a period of time. Well, and, and valuations will be harmed on two fronts, both reduced EBITDA or income plus a reduced multiple, as Christian was alluding to, due to a little bit less debt availability, you know, and, 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 and or significantly less debt availability and so forth. So you'll see a double whammy on pricing and you'll see if there's a disconnect between buyers and sellers. But like Chiet says, a lot of sellers, meaning smaller entities, will be looking for the security of being part of a large organization when you go through this kind of panic. In, in any event, we're going to wrap up now. I want to thank our panelists. Uh, 
not her, Sammy, CEO of National Medical Billing, Chad Bestie, principal at BDO, Kathy Quinn, who runs the Northbrook Chamber of Commerce and just touches lots and lots of small and mid-sized business. So I think a huge contribution to a discussion like this. Kristen Berger, senior advisor, uh, extraordinary business development person and leader and business person at McGuire Woods, and Bart Walker, who helps run uh, both the dental part of the practice and the healthcare life sciences part of the practice at McGuire Woods. Uh, just fantastic. I, I want to thank all of you for joining us and thank our producer, Jeremy Kaur, for his efforts too. Thank you very, very much. If anybody on the phone wants further information, please feel free to reach either any of our panelists or reach myself. My text is 312-399-0774, and I'm happy to put you in touch with any of our panelists or, or answer any questions you have. Thank you, folks, all very, very much.